Oftentimes, it's better to start with creativity to help you learn the facts. Life is too short to learn a, a list of a thousand rando words. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In with your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford. And I'm with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, who is Dean of the Graduate School of Education. And because this is happening during COVID-19, we are actually not in the studio today. We are doing the radio show via Zoom, and our guest today will also be joining us via Zoom. Well, hello, Dr. Critical Thinking Pope. I will take that one, Dan. I okay. like, thought of as a critical thinker. What, what, how, how do you define critical thinking? Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion about that. So some people think critical thinking means you're critical all the time. Uh, yeah. So, so maybe <laughs> you don't want the label. Person. Yeah. Uh, others think it's deductive reasoning, like uh, if A, then B, not B, therefore. Mm. Other people think it's whatever lawyers do. Uh, oh. so, so I'll give you uh, my definition, which is it's the processes by which you decide what to believe. The process by which you decide what to believe. Yeah, the processes. Okay. The processes. So, so, so we're going to play a game so people can see how this works. Oh, gosh. Okay. And, and you're, you're going to tell me how you decide what to believe on the internet. Is this a test to see if I really am a critical thinker? Uh, I, I'm sure all your answers will be good. Oh, okay. So, Thank so, you. so I'm sure you're going to get 100%. <laughs> oh, okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a category and you tell me how you would decide whether to believe it or not. Okay. Okay. So something that, that's fairly frequent for people uh, is, you know, they they have a funny cough or they might have uh, something on their skin and they want to find out what it might be. Right? Okay. So, so, and they go to the internet. Okay. So you're so, saying, how, where would I go? Like, would I go to a WebMD or the Mayo Clinic or I'm, I'm going to look at do? the source, Dan. I'm not going to just like type in bad cough. And then whatever source comes up, I'm going to be like, oh, that's what I have. So you're not, you're not going to type in Hollywood stars who've had coughs. No, okay. no. I'm going okay. to go to a trusted source as trusted as it could be on the internet. But okay. then I would still probably call my doctor. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, my experience of doing that, going to the internet is they're the most horrifying possibilities. <laughs> so, so I've stopped doing that. I just hope you're it goes away. Oh, <laughs> okay. So number two, uh, you read a news article that has a scientific report on education. Well, so no, usually I'll then click to the report, right? Because I, I don't necessarily trust that the news article is going to give me everything. It, again, it depends on sort of what the news article is. But I usually, if I want to know to trust that, the, whatever that article says, I'll go to the report itself. So you'll like go to the journal where it got published. I will go to the journal. So, yes. so in both cases, you're, you're willing to, to defer to authority to decide what to believe? Well, I'm not deferring to authority. I believe in science. And so I will then go to the source that I think has a credible reputation based on my understanding of science. Okay. Uh, there's a breaking news story. Okay. Is it on you, Fox? Is it on CNN? Is it on my Twitter feed? <laughs> I, mean, I see. You know, so if, it, if it's on certain things, you'll just discount it. Well, I won't. Do, I look at a lot of sources. Like I will actually go to on purpose Fox or CNN or the New York Times just to see how different people 
are um, talking about this and try to piece together sort of what actually happened. I see. So you'll kind of triangulate. So, will, so how about yeah. what the last category? How about uh, a repair or cooking video? How will you decide okay, so, okay. whether to believe it? So for this, it's totally different, right? Because I am looking for something immediately and short and to fix the problem. I will give you a total example of what happened a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't open, you know, when you get a soap pump and the pump, you have to pop it up to get it to open. I could not open the flipping pump. And I literally went to the internet and said, how do you open a stuck soap pump? And there was a, just a like, I don't know, eight videos that popped up, but I just clicked on one. I didn't care if it was going to be accurate or not. I just clicked on it and followed it. So there I'm totally different. I'm not it, actually going to all the different sources. And Did it work? Totally. I'm so grateful okay. to that little three minute internet. So, yeah, so they're, they're the ultimate process of deciding what to believe is you could actually find out if it worked. Yeah. Is utility. Right. Yeah. And also short, like I'll sometimes read the comments and they're like, this wasn't helpful. Don't waste your 20 minutes. It's like, forget it. But if it's a two minute video, yes. Oh, I see. So when it comes to <laughs> repair videos, you'll use likes. I, you when know, it comes to breaking news, you wouldn't use likes. Oh, no way. Okay. Okay. Just so, so, so you're a meta critical thinker. I'm a, <laughs> yeah, you, you change your, the processes by which you decide to believe depending on the circumstance. Did I just to tell me, did I pass the test, Dan? That's yeah. Oh man. <laughs> You, I've, nobody has ever done this well. Okay. You're Thank the you. first Good. person to have taken it and succeeded. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to welcome Sam Weinberg. Uh, Sam Weinberg is uh, being cited in all the newspapers that Denise trusts. Uh, he also <laughs> writes op-eds. So Sam is a professor of education at Stanford. He leads the Stanford History Education Group that produces research and curriculum for history teachers. But as he puts it, Sam is not a historian. He's a psychologist who studies how people think about the past. And in the past few years, he's been investigating how people verify information online. And he's found that people aren't very good at it, unlike you, Denise, who got an A+. Oh, well, let's see what Sam says about okay, me. So, so welcome, <laughs> Sam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, um, so Sam, let, let's, let's start with a plug. Uh, you published a new book, which is Why Learn History When It's Already on Your Phone, which I think is an awesome title. Uh, so I, I know it took a whole book to answer the question, but can you give us the short answer on this one? <laughs> why, why, why learn history when it's already on your phone? Well, a lot of people think of history as uh, a set of names and dates and factual information. And what has happened with the advent of the internet and the fact that we have a computing device in our back pockets that uh, rivals the British library and what it is able to serve up at a moment's notice, we have to ask ourselves, uh, what is it that Google can and can't do? And so Google can give us a great deal of information at a very quick amount of speed, but it can't discern for us whether to go back to your question of Denise, whether to believe that information or even whether it is sufficiently trustworthy for us to, oh, I don't know, use it in an in a academic article that we're writing or for your undergraduate to cite it in a paper. So the idea of human judgment is absolutely central to why we still need to cultivate the ways of thinking that history encourages. So, 
So how does history, the study of history, encourage this? Historical understanding at its basis is a kind of synthesis among cacophonous voices with different points of view. And ideally, what we want the student of history to do is not to simply follow the voice that matches his or her own prior convictions. That's sort of uh, history writ large as a set of opinions. History is an argument or a story that's based on evidence. And so the, the evaluation of evidence is absolutely central to deciding which historical account to regard as reliable or trustworthy. And, and so evidence might be uh, op-ed that somebody wrote 100 years ago, if there was such a thing as an op-ed, or a speech that somebody gave. This is the kind of evidence and... Well, it, it depends what the question is. If okay. what you're trying, if what you're, you're trying to understand is the rhetorical style of the 19th century, or the means of persuasion that politicians used when they were stumping at a time before the internet or before radio and television, then that op-ed or an article in a, a, a an 18th century newspaper would be evidence for that question. So the idea of what evidence is is not something that's free floating. It's a, a function of the particular kind of question that you're asking. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We're talking with Sam Weinberg about how you know who to believe, which sources to believe. And um, it doesn't sound like we're too good of it as an American people in, uh, in discerning. And, and, and the Internet's had a lot to do with that, Sam. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I use the example of when I was growing up and I was taught to do a research project. I was the ripe old age of 10 years old when Mrs. Abby, my fifth grade teacher, took us to the public library in the town in which I grew up, and I wanted to investigate the Bermuda Triangle. And I felt like I was initiated into a sacred cult. The librarian gave me the scepter to the kingdom, which was a small eraserless pencil, and showed me how to discern the hieroglyphics of a very ancient scriptural text called the Reader's Guide to Periodic Literature. <laughs> and then I was sent deep into the catacombs, these dark alleyways, sort of like walking the labyrinth, in order to locate two sources, an article in Time magazine and an article in Look magazine, a magazine that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> and I had my two sources for writing a research report on the Bermuda Triangle. If you Now, if you put Bermuda Triangle into your browser, you will get 74 million entries. And so we're, what school has not yet prepared this generation of American citizens for is how do you deal with an avalanche of unvetted information? So many of us were, were brought to evaluate information or evaluate evidence during a time of scarcity, where we had to extract the few sources that we found that spoke to our research question for every ounce of information that they contained. We have a quite different problem right now. The problem is not finding information. The, the problem is what to believe with the avalanche, with the surfeit of information that comes to us through our browser. So. We are dealing in many ways, school, schooling prepares us to deal with the, the scarcity of sources. We're given a preset reading passage. Think of the, think of the SAT, think of the ways that we, we still use in our standardized tests. You present someone a vetted text and you ask them to comprehend it. But so many of the texts that, in, that we encounter are not vetted at all. No one checks them. So how in this kind of treacherous terrain of the internet how are we supposed to make sense of it if we've never really had practice doing so?
This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are talking with Sam Weinberg about how you make sense of all the millions of things out there on the internet. How do you know what's true? How do you define a good good source? And, and Sam, I hope you're going to give us some tips. So, right. So, <laughs> so Denise's answer is uh, to check whether the source is credible. Right. Is it is it in the New New England Journal of Medicine? Is that where this came from? You have to know first that the New England Journal of Medicine is is a credible, I, I think, a credible journal. If you're 10 years old, you don't know that. If you're, there are people out there who are 50 years old who don't know that. So, Sam, what 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 should we do? Exactly. I mean, let's let's not discount the importance of background knowledge here. If you if you can't discern the difference between uh, Alex Jones, uh, a, a website on Infowars. Uh, um, hawking a particular vitamin supplement and the New, New England Journal of Medicine. If both of, if you don't know either of those, then Googling and trying to locate a better source is not going to really help you. So again, the, the idea that somehow we can uh, dispense with background knowledge and dispense with knowing things just because we have a powerful browser is fallacious and it gets us into a lot of, a lot of problems. At the same time, let me give you an example where um, this is an actual example of something that came across my Facebook feed. It was a meme sent to me actually by a graduate student in the School of Education at Stanford University that said that 20,000 African-Americans died in a concentration camp in Nanchez, Mississippi, after the Civil War ended in 1865. Now, what would, be the, what would be the first thing that you would do to see, oh my goodness, is this another instance of textbooks lying to me? I mean, textbooks for many, many years didn't include anything, for instance, on the Tulsa massacre, the, probably the biggest and, and most egregious race riot in American history. So it's not far-fetched to say, you know, textbooks don't include this. So let me put that to you. What, what would be the first thing that you do when you get a meme like this that says, here it is, Union soldiers in a concentration camp, essentially putting to death freed African-Americans after the end of the Civil War. What would you do if you need to make a quick decision? Good luck, Denise. You may no not way. get an A. I, you may I not was, get an A. No, I was just going to say, I did the first test. This is on you, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd probably try and bring common sense to it first, like... Uh, how many African Americans were there at the time? Right, is twenty is would twenty thousand wipe out the population? That's evasive, Dan. You're, you're, you are sitting it to the computer, and you have to make a decision within ninety seconds. What? Wait Again, a minute. So, so Microsoft. <laughs> when, did, when did this become a time test? Oh, it's because, a time test. Edit, because so many of the decisions we make about whether to forward something or share or repost are made within. 60 seconds. And so again, let's distinguish between what our purpose is. Let's, and the, the task I'm setting before you is not one of citing this in a research paper. This is you're on your social media sites, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, and you're, you're, you're just shocked by this claim. But you were shocked by the, the Tulsa massacre claims, which you knew nothing about. So this is not completely beyond the pale. This is a claim that again, in the in the in the 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 zeitgeist we're in, a lot of hidden history is coming to the fore right now. Mm -hmm. So the question is, you've got sixty seconds. You're not even you're not even thinking about reposting it at this point. You're just thinking, oh my goodness, why have I, is this true? So again, I put the question to 
to, to everyone, what would be your first, your 30, I'm going to bring it down to 30 seconds, a 30 second fact check to see, is this, does this even hold water? Uh, so I'm not deft enough to do this in 30 seconds, but I, I guess I would probably try and backward trace sort of the source of this. Where, 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 where there's no link from? on, there's no link on the meme. I would go, wouldn't you just Google? I would take the, 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 the place. I would say uh, African-American concentration camp in the name of the place and quickly type it into Google and see what popped out. That would be one way I would, would, would do it. Because if there's, if you did that with Tulsa, um, you know, race riot, you're going to get a lot, a lot of, and then I would look at what those sources are really quickly. I would scan it um, really quickly. No. Great. So you, so in your search bar, you've got Manchester, Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, concentration camps. African-Americans. Uh, 18, 1865. Yeah. African-American. And what you get on the SERP, which is fancy lingo for uh, uh, search, search results uh, page, uh, search entry, entry results page, what you get on the SERP are, are shocking hidden history from history.com from mm. a variety filling up your search engine results page, your SERP. So it seems like you've got confirmation of this claim, right? No, because I'll look if it's, you know, history.com. I don't even know history.com. I'm going to want to look at actual sources, but it's going to take me longer than 30 seconds. So I'm probably not, you know, this is why I don't share or repost or do anything like that on social media. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Uh, this is Schools In with uh, Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We will have more with Sam Weinberg uh, talking about how you know when a source is true, what to do about sharing and reposting things on social media, and all sorts of things, knowing fake news from real, next on SiriusXM. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. So it is hard to predict what the future will be. The focus is really on academics. From the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Sam Weinberg, who posed a question about how do you know when a meme is true and, and, and put Dan and I to the test about uh, what would we do to figure out if this sort of shocking piece of information is legit or if it's just uh, playing with us and is fake news, as people say. Okay, Sam, Sam. We, what, what we, is it? we are on the edge of the seat. What, so you've come, you've you come across this meme about a major historical event that you've never heard of. And what's the first thing that you would do? Again, just to get your bearings, just to orient yourself, you would go to the largest crowdsourcing venue that has ever been created in the world, which is called Wikipedia. And if Wikipedia has nothing on a Nanchez massacre where 20,000 people have died at the hands of Union soldiers, that's the first red flag that there's a problem here. Because if this was available and something known and something documented, and again, we need to think about Wikipedia and what makes a Wikipedia entry, there can be no original research. It has to be documented with vetted, not necessarily, not always vetted, but in many cases around historical topics, certainly around that magnitude, it would have to be low anchored to a particular source that is better than the Wikipedia entry. If there is nothing on 20,000 
African-Americans killed at the hands of Union soldiers in Natchez, Mississippi. That's your first indication that there is something foul in this whole problem. And again, it's not foolproof. You would want to corroborate it with other sources. But it's the first and a pretty good indication that if something of that magnitude truly happened, there would be something about it in Wikipedia. Okay, wait, I have to stop you here because as a teacher, I have been telling kids for years and now maybe I'm totally outdated. Don't use Wikipedia as a valid source. You can't cite Wikipedia in your papers or whatnot. Now, I know that wasn't the task that you were asking us, but you're telling me that my first instinct should be going to Wikipedia. And my first instinct has always been to tell kids don't go to Wikipedia. How do you answer that, Sam? That's like telling a carpenter, don't use a hammer. Really? Any searcher. So again, this is this is perhaps counterintuitive, and we need to we we need to let that mythology die at this from this moment onward. Okay. When we study, so again in our research, we looked at the difference between smart people uh, navigating the internet and trying to figure out what is true and false, and we compared those smart people, many of them who had PhDs, uh, Stanford undergraduates who are you know a pretty smart group, and we compared those people to professional fact checkers at the most esteemed publications between New York City and Washington D.C. I can't disclose to the listeners what those what those venues are, but they would be right if they were to guess. What fact checkers did was when they came to an unfamiliar site, whether it was a .org or 501c3, they immediately left it and they engaged in what we call lateral reading. They opened up new tabs on the horizontal uh, access of their screen, and they Googled the name of this organization. And if you were to go to Employment Policies Institute on Wikipedia, you would immediately learn that it is a socially conservative organization that is dedicated to maintaining and keeping the minimum wage low. So again, you'd want to confirm that, and you'd confirm that by opening up another tab, and you'd get something in the New York Times, you'd get something in the Wall Street Journal to learn that, for instance, this supposed think tank is actually run out of a Washington, D.C. PR firm. We are talking with Sam Weinberg, who is uh, really working on helping all of us learn how to be better at defining what is a good source, what isn't a good source, what is fake news. And I think I owe an apology to, to Wikipedia. I know it's crowdsourced. I know that people can change it at any time. And so that's why I was worried about it. Excuse me, Denise. No. May I correct that misimpression? Yes, please do. There is something like, of last count, at least 18 different types of protected pages on Wikipedia. So I know, for instance, that you're interested in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Sure. If you try to go to that page and see if you can make any kind of edit, you would need at least... Uh, I think the, the last time I checked on, on, on that page, you would need 500 successful edits to even be able to see the code behind that page. So the idea that anybody can change Wikipedia, let's put that one to rest. Uh, we used in, in one of our assessments, the, uh, we asked undergraduates to go to, to think about researching the topic of gun control. And we gave them two different sites to look at the Wikipedia entry on gun control, and an entry at Duke University. Well, uh, the majority of undergraduates said they would go to the, and they, had, they, this, they were doing this in real time. They went to the Duke University site. The Duke University site actually sent you to a National, uh, a National Rifle Association broadside 
And they said that that was a more authoritative site because it was .edu and you should never go to Wikipedia. The Wikipedia site on gun control is actually a fabulous entry that is completely protected and probably on balance, a very even handed entry. I, I need another tip, Sam. <laughs> tips for, just, for, I, tips I feel, for Dan. Tips I feel for unarmed in, in the new in the new future. First of all, there's a lot of misinformation about what it is that Google does. Mm. The idea that uh, Google can give you a search engine results page that is ranked by credibility is another one of these beliefs that gets us into a lot of trouble. That might be the case if Google's algorithms were not at all interrupted or disrupted by SEOs, search engine optimization, which is a billion dollar industry of getting your results to the top and getting your competition's results down near the bottom. So if, if we were free of SEOs, maybe you know Google would be a better first choice, going to the first result of Google. What undergraduates and very smart people tended to do is that they would look at the first few results and they would engage in clicking. In fact, undergraduates sometimes engaged in what we think of as promiscuous clicking. <laughs> and what? What, fact, what fact checkers did is something that we call click restraint. They, they, they stand back from the search engine results page and they get a sense of the gestalt of the page because A, they know how to read snippets. Snippets are the small little results that Google provides. But in many ways, the search engine results page gives you context for the information neighborhood in which you found yourself. So, so Sam, uh, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Is, is there going to be a new profession where I can hire a personal fact checker? Mm. Like I can say to him, somebody told me 20,000. Absolutely Could you check not, this for Dan, me? Dan, Dan, let it go. The, the age where the librarian, the subject matter expert, where the publisher, where the, the, the book vetter made decisions for you. Walter Cronkite died a long time ago. <laughs> this is now, this is an issue of informed citizenship. Polluted information is to civic health what polluted water and uh, air pollution is to public health. So, Sam, where... where you must have collated tips for how to do this because I, I, I would not have thought of any of these. So quick. So quickly, uh, people should go to our website, uh, cor.stanford.edu. Teachers can find lesson plans for teaching these ways of thinking about the internet ready, free. All you have to do is register. You can see YouTube tapes of what this looks like in the classroom. Um, all of the kind of materials for not turning your student into a super fact checker, but preventing, helping your students uh, uh, avoid the most egregious and dangerous errors. Let me just put it this way. When you're going down the highway at 75 miles an hour and you wanna pass someone, um, one of the quick habits we do, many people do, is they look in their mirror and they turn their head, it's a mirror head check. Now that little habit doesn't guarantee that you won't get into an accident, but it significantly decreases the probability that you will. And so these little tips that I'm giving you, it's not going to guarantee that you never make a mistake, but you're going to make a lot fewer mistakes. Very good. All right, Sam, thank you so much. I'm going to do a mirror head check and I'm also going to call you, I think, in the future. Thanks for being here. Thank all of you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app and anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
from the campus of Stanford University. This has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope on Sirius XM Business Radio. If you missed any of it, listen on demand, online or with the Sirius XM app.